Do you sure need thing. Right here. Turn it on. I'll just take a minute. For some of you that may not know, uh, three years ago I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. My doctor told me, he said, if you go and get any kind of cancer, that's the kind to get because most people survive it. So this is the height of COVID when this happened in 2020. My thyroid was removed uh, and four treatments, which is unusual. Most times one treatment, a radioactive iodine, you'll, it'll destroy whatever tissues remain in your body. I had four treatments, one finished up about, a month, about almost two months ago now. Uh, my doctor checked my thyroid globulin level, which shows any uh, tissue in there is still left. It was still there as far as the levels were higher. And he thought, this, there's something weird going on here. So I had a CT scan that was done uh, about a month and a half ago, and it showed a mass underneath my sternum. And I thought, well, that's, I don't like that. You know, I was just really concerned about it. And then I've got surgery that is scheduled a week from day after tomorrow at Emory St. Joe to remove the mass. The good news is they don't think it is spread. But I thought I was going to have additional surgery in my neck. And they said, no. I heard from my doctor Friday. They said, no, everything is fine there. So robotically, R2-D2 <laughs> will be taking out the mass that's underneath the sternum right here and taking it out this way. The doctor that I have is a master in robotic surgery. He's done hundreds of these surgeries, and I trust him. But more than anything, I trust what God is going to do. Amen. He has brought me through this in three years, and I believe he's not changing just my body. He's changing my spirit. I claim Psalms where it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Amen. When you face something like this, you get closer than you've ever been. What is that worth? You know? I will get through this. I will be back here and I will sing the praises that this Amen. will be over with. For three years I've dealt with this and this will be done. So I'm ready to, for this to be over with. So keep me in your prayers on the 27th. This will be over and I just I cannot wait for it to happen. I'm not looking forward to surgery. I could rather think of other things to do on a Tuesday morning. But I want to be free of this. And I just, I just want to give you a praise report. Get that, you know, let you know what God is doing in my life. But more importantly... Time is short, folks. Life is short. We're not promised next week. We're not promised tomorrow. God is saying, John, get your life in order. I'm talking for myself. I'm not talking to anybody else. Get your life in order. Do what you need to be doing for me. My mother was told for nine years that she couldn't have kids. Nine years. I'm here. <laughs> two, two of my other brothers showed up a few years later. God cannot be stopped. Amen. His healing, his power cannot be stopped. And that's what I proclaim today. He will not be stopped. This will be taken out, and I will be healed once and for all. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Yes. Come on up. I was gonna. I was gonna say that. Let's go. We're gonna pray for John. This goes right along with the scripture for today, folks. Taking authority and praying for healing and praying for miracles and praying for the power of God to manifest itself. 
praying for God's mercy, praying for God's grace. Let's pray for John. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for John's faith, Lord, for during these three years you have grown him in his faith in such incredible ways, Lord. You have continued to walk with him through this illness and this, this cancer, Lord, and we, we declare, Lord, that in the name of Jesus, this is going to be the end of it, Lord, that it's all going to be gone, that it's not going to come back anymore, that it's never going to haunt him anymore, Lord, because he lives by the life of Jesus that flows through him. Right now, oh Lord, we pour the blood of Jesus over John. We just pray, Lord, that this blood of Jesus will cover him from head to toe, that there's, if there's anything in his body that needs to be touched and healed, that it'll be healed this very moment, that if there's anything else, Lord, in his body that needs to be realigned, oh Lord, to the perfect way that you made it, that right now, Lord, it'll be realigned. Oh, Heavenly Father, we believe in miracles. We believe that you gave us authority under heaven and above heaven and under the earth to declare in the name of Jesus total healing. And so we declare John healed in the name of Jesus. Lord, I want a surprise. I want that doctor to go in there and not be able to find anything. I want him to just go and be confused, Lord, because you have done a miracle that it's even smaller than he can even can't find it. Lord, I just want a miracle in John's life right now. But we know, oh Lord, that the greater miracle has already been done in his spirit, Lord, because you have brought him close to your throne. You have shown him, oh Lord, your mercy and your grace, and you continue to sustain him every day. I just ask, oh Lord, that you'll be with him and Brendan days ahead as he prepares for this procedure, that he will know that he goes in with your presence and your grace, and that, Lord, you are going to be the surgeon. You're going to be guiding those hands that you're going to be guiding that robot, that you're going to be guiding everything that happens in that surgery, and that, oh, Lord, when he comes out on the other side, he's going to give you praises and glory. He's just going to get up and praise you, and he's going to tell everybody he meets what you have done in his life. I thank you, Lord, for his testimony and his witness. Just give him peace as he goes in. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. God bless you. Wouldn't that be something if the surgeon can't find that thing? That would be awesome. God is good. All the time. God is good. Our scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 9. I'll be reading from verse 35 through chapter 10, um, verse 20-something. I lost track. Um, bear with me. It's a long scripture, but you'll see how it all comes together. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew, 
James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not take a road leading to Gentiles and do not enter a Samaritan town, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with a skin disease, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from the feet as you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of them. For they will hand you over to councils and flog you in the synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings because of me, as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. When they hand you over, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you at that time. For it is not you who speak but the spirit of, the, of your father speaking through you. Siblings will betray siblings to death, and a father his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this town, flee to the next. For truly, I tell you, you will not have finished going through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The word of God for us this morning. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for worship. We thank you because it brings us into your presence, because it reminds us, O oh Lord, of our faith in you and our trust in you, because it, it just retells the story that you are our God, that you are worthy of every ounce of praise that we can muster together. We ask, O oh Lord, that you will continue to bless us through this word as it is proclaimed. Give me your thoughts to be my own and speak to us what we need to hear this morning. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As you know, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each one of them is, is a little bit different in terms of its focus. If you go through Luke, for example, he's, he's very detailed. He wants to tell you all the dates and all the people that were involved. And he wants to set the scene because he's, he's more of a historian trying to, to make sure that he gets all the details along the way. But if you look at Matthew, Matthew is more concerned 
We're showing us that Jesus was the God in the flesh in such a way that the power of God was being reflected through him on a regular basis. And how does Matthew show us that? Well, Matthew tells us about all the miracles of Jesus. He, he doesn't miss one. He goes back and he tells the stories of all of these miracles that he, he does and all the people that he heals and all the people that he raises from the dead. I mean, if you look at Matthew, just go back one chapter and he's raising Peter's mom. He raises her and then she goes out and makes him dinner. I mean, because it's just an everyday thing for Jesus to raise people from the dead. It's nothing strange. In Matthew, Jesus opens the eyes of blind men. He heals cripples. He does all kinds of things, and he does it as a regular thing. It's not like, oh, wow, he did that. It's like, oh, yeah, he does that. That's what Jesus does. That's who Jesus is. And so when we get to this chapter in, in Matthew, we have to understand that Jesus has been having this same recurring experience over and over again. He goes into a village or a town. A crowd gathers. They come with their ill and their sick people. They come with their demon-possessed. They come with their troubled. And they bring them to Jesus. And Jesus heals them, restores them, delivers them. And this story repeats over and over again. And in this chapter of Matthew, where we started to read, Jesus tells us why this is the case. He says that every time he looks out at the crowd, what he experiences for them is compassion. Compassion. He feels for them. He wants to help them. He wants to give them what he has. He knows that he can make a difference. He says that when he looks out, they look like sheep without a shepherd. And guess what? He was a shepherd of the sheep. And he's saying, I know I am what they need. I know that I have what they need. When he tells us that he sees them as sheep without a shepherd, we don't always understand that because we're not used to the whole shepherd analogy in today's terms because none of us have sheep on the backyard. But if you want to understand that, you have to understand what a shepherd did and what a shepherd meant to the sheep back then. Sheep were defenseless when they were out in the wild. Any predator could come and snatch a sheep away and eat it, and it was gone. And it happened all the time. It was a constant danger. And it was the shepherd's job with their staff to protect that sheep from those predators when they came. So a sheep without a shepherd basically is defenseless, has no defense. Without a shepherd, it also lacked guidance because one of the roles of the shepherd was to lead them to green pastures and fresh water. It was the shepherd's role to make sure that they didn't get lost and that they made it to their destination and that everywhere along the way they were getting what they needed to make the journey. The other thing that the shepherd did was he protected the sheep from their own bad judgment. Sheep would wander off all the time. 
Have you ever wondered why the, the shepherd's staff had the crook at the end? It was to grab those sheep and pull them back whenever they started running off. It was whenever a sheep went off to the side of the cliff to pull them off the cliff before they fell. It was to be able to put them back on the path that they needed to be on. So when Jesus says that he sees the, the crowds as sheep without a shepherd, he's basically saying that they're defenseless, that they lack guidance, and they have bad judgment. They need the good shepherd. They need Jesus. And when he saw those crowds, he says they were like harassed and helpless. And it was his compulsion to have compassion for them. And if you look up compassion, it says that compassion is pity or concern for the suffering or misfortune of others. When you experience compassion, you want to do something to help. And think about it. This reminds me of fathers with their children. You know, when they're teaching a child how to ride their bike and they hold that bike seat in the back as they're trying to teach them to keep them from falling, and the minute that children start kind of going one side or another, they grab back on to keep them from hitting the ground. That compulsion to help them, to support them, to be there for them, that is what Jesus had for the crowds when they gathered together to hear him and to seek his healing. And when Jesus saw the great need of the crowds, the scripture tells us he turned to his disciples and he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We have to understand that Jesus saw the incredible need of the people, and he realized that there was only one of him. And there was a lot of people coming out to see him, to seek healing, to be restored, to be healed, to be redeemed, and he was recognizing that there was such a great need that he needed more laborers that would be willing to do the kind of things that he was doing. Okay? A laborer, by definition, is somebody who does stuff. It's not somebody who sits on the sideline and looks pretty. If you've got a laborer that's just sitting there and not doing anything, you fire them. You get rid of them. A laborer has to, by definition, be involved in the work and being willing to do whatever it takes to accomplish the task. Jesus was inviting his disciples to pray for more people willing to enter the ministry of healing the sick, delivering those who were oppressed by the devil, and continuing to proclaim that the kingdom of God had come near. Now think about that. He's got 12 guys around him that technically, supposedly are committed to him. Yet he turns to those very people and says, let's pray for more. Let's pray for people that are willing to do what I do. Let's pray for people that are willing to go as far as I will go. Let's pray for laborers because the harvest is plentiful. It's not a coincidence that immediately after that, Jesus summons his disciples and gives them instructions on what it means to be a laborer for him. He says, oh, by the way, you're laborers. 
It's time to get busy. Now we have to understand that up to this point, the disciples have been observing Jesus heal the sick. They've been watching Jesus raise the dead. They've been watching Jesus cast out demons. They haven't done any of it. It's one thing to watch somebody drive, and it's a whole other thing to get behind the wheel, isn't it? Just because you watch somebody do it doesn't mean you're going to be able to handle it, right? The disciples had been watching Jesus drive the whole time, but they had not been put behind the wheel. They did not have the authority, they did not have the power, and they did not have the permission to do it yet. But things are about to change. Jesus calls them together and he says, I am giving you authority to do the kind of things that I do. I am sending you out to heal the sick, to deliver those who are oppressed by, by demons, and I am sending you out to declare that the kingdom of God has come near. And by the way, as you go out, I just want you to take nothing with you but yourselves. Because I don't want you to rely on yourself for what you're about to do. Now, when Jesus commands his disciples to do this, Matthew pauses and tells us who the 12 disciples are. Why do you think he does that? Because he names all 12 of them. Like, we don't know who the disciples of Jesus are. Like, we're not going to know who these guys are. He names each one of them, and I think there's a reason for it. Matthew wants us to understand that Jesus is giving them authority and empowering them to do things that are impossible for them to do by themselves. So he names all 12 disciples so that you know that Jesus has the authority to use one who will betray him. That Jesus has the authority to use one who will doubt him. That Jesus has the authority to use fishermen who have no business healing anybody. He's going to use people that have no quote-unquote qualifications for the work of the kingdom that he's sending them to but he's still giving them the authority and that's all they need. See, by naming the disciples, Jesus is letting us know that he can use anybody he wants, that he can call who he wants and he can give authority to who he wants. And he wants these 12 disciples to go experience what it's like to use that authority, to use that power and to spread his word and his message. Sometimes we forget that God always give, gives authority to those who he calls. And if you have the authority of Jesus to go, then nothing can stop you. Because God is on your side. God is going to lead you through it. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. Jesus knew that his disciples would have a hard trek that some people would reject their message, that some people would not receive them, but he wanted them to know that what they were about to do, they were going to do by the authority and the power of God that had been given to them and not by anything that they had learned or experienced on their own. Anything that they had acquired, anything that they could obtain by themselves. He tells them, don't take money, 
Don't ask for money either. You've received by grace, give by grace. He says, just give it away. This message is by grace and by faith. You're going to give it away. I want you to cure the sick. I want you to raise the dead. I want you to cleanse those with a skin disease. I want you to cast out demons. Now, I don't know about you, but if Jesus came up to me and said all those things, I'd be like, uh, I got about 100 questions. Because I want to know how all this is going to work. <laughs> I want to know what to do at each step of the way. I, can I get the, the pamphlet of the step number one, step number two, step number three to cure and to cast out demons? And by the way, uh, what, what to do if this happens and that happens? We would want the whole scenario of everything that could happen. And we would want to understand how God is going to do it through us. But Jesus just gave them the instructions and said, go. And by the way, don't ask people for money for it. Just go. Don't take any money with you. Just go. And it'll be provided for you. You know, grace means a free gift. And Jesus was reminding the disciples and us that everything that we get from God is a gift of grace. It's given to us through his love and through his son, Jesus Christ not because of our ability, not because of what we can give, but because of his incredible love for us. Jesus chose and picked these 12 disciples, I think, on purpose. I mean, who would think that a tax collector could raise the dead? I mean, that's how crazy it is that Jesus would pick these 12 guys to do the ministry of the, of the kingdom. But the instructions, I think, were tailored to his disciples as well. Because I'm sure that Judas was already thinking about how much he was going to charge for healing so he could pocket a little extra money. I'm sure that Thomas was probably going, I don't know if we can do this. I'm sure that Peter was going, which way do I go so I can start healing? He was, so, he was the bold one, right? Each one of them needed to hear these instructions. He said, don't take a bag, don't take money. In your belts, you know how we, we hide a little extra money inside the wallet for those emergencies so we pretend like it's not there? He's like, don't even do that. You go and don't take any extra. Don't even take a change of clothes or a, an extra set of sandals. Just go. And he says, if you do the labor that I am sending you to, everything will be provided for you. And, you know, this just reminds us of our scripture that says that we need to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things will be added on. You know, we, we always put the cart before the horse. We try, to, we try to take care of things ourselves, and then if we have extra, we left over, then we go to God and give it. And he wants it to be the other way around. He wants us to completely surrender, completely give ourselves to him. And he says, and I'll take care of you. I'll lead you. I'll guide you. Jesus knew it wasn't going to be easy, though, because they were going to be trusting people that they were going to to take care of them. It would require God to touch those people in order for them to feel like they could give to the disciples. And Jesus also knew that everybody would not receive the message. He knew that there were some that would reject it 
He knew that there were some that would not receive them in their homes or in their towns that might run them out of town. And he says, if that ever happens, just keep moving. Just go on to the next town. Dust the, take the dust off your sandals and keep going because if they don't receive you, they don't receive me. And you just keep going because somebody down the road is going to want what you have. In sales, one of the things that you learn is that if somebody turns you down, you don't give up. You just go to the next person that might want what you have, right? And if that one turns you down, what do you do? You quit your job? No, you go to the next person that might want what you have. And what Jesus was saying, if you continue to go and do the labor that I'm sending you to, if you continue to heal the sick, if you continue to release those who are captive to demons, if you continue to tell them about the kingdom of God drawing near, somebody down the road is going to want this message and receive it and receive you into their homes and provide for your needs because the laborer is worthy of what they receive of their food. But if they don't receive you, don't, don't take any of that negativity with you down the road. Even the dust on your sandals, take it off. Don't, don't take any of it with you. You know, sometimes people hurt us along the way when we're trying to share our Christian faith. And then we, we don't want to do it anymore because it hurt to be rejected. It hurt for somebody not to agree with us that Jesus is the Messiah. It hurt for us to know that they're so close about, about receiving God into their hearts. And sometimes it becomes discouraging. Jesus didn't want his disciples to, to enter that discouragement. He wanted them to be able to keep going and to see what he was going to do. But he knew it was going to get tough. He says, they're going to persecute you they're going to hand you over to the councils. They're going to flog you in their synagogues. You're going to be dragged before governors and kings because of me and because of the testimony that you're giving of me. You know, some people don't just refuse Jesus. They refuse you because you follow Jesus. They don't want to deal with you because every time they talk to you, you remind them of your faith or you share with them how you trust in God. They might disinvite you to the party or to the luncheon or to the outing because they don't want to hear it. And that's hard to deal with. Jesus knew that these disciples would experience all of these kind of things, that there would be people along the way that would make it difficult for them to continue in their journey sharing the gospel of Jesus. And that they would be persecuted more directly than we are, really. Because they would, they would really go after them because of their faith in Jesus Christ. But Jesus tells them, when this happens, I don't want you to get discouraged. I don't even want you to worry about what you're going to say. Because when that moment comes, I am going to make sure that you have the right words in your mouth to share you're going to be given what to say. You know, I think sometimes the instructions given here are not just to the disciples, but to us. God wants to put his word in our mouth, not our words in his mouth. 
He wants his thoughts to come out of our mouths, not our thoughts to be reflected as his thoughts. Jesus tells them when the moment comes, you just open your mouth. You're going to be mouthpieces for me. You're going to speak, and I'm going to give you the words, and they're not going to be your own. And don't be surprised when that moment comes because you will say exactly what the Holy Spirit is giving you, and that's what you'll need to share. We need to remember that it is the Spirit that speaks through us because it is only when the Spirit speaks through us that God's Word really pours out instead of our own. But we have the same authority that the disciples had. We have the same mandate, we have the same Spirit that the disciples received on that day as they were sent out to do all of these things. And we are still being called to pray for healing, to pray for deliverance, to pray for salvation, and to declare that the kingdom of God has come near. It might cause you to lose a few friends, a few acquaintances, maybe even have some neighbors that won't speak to you anymore. But you need to know that sharing the good news of Jesus Christ is worth whatever persecution or rejection comes your way because he wants to do incredible things through you and for you. Lately, the Lord has been speaking to me a lot about taking authority, about us not acting like we don't have the power that we really have in the Holy Spirit to do the things that he called us to. But I have to admit, it's hard when Jesus said, you're going to do greater things than I have done, and he raised the dead. It's hard to claim and, and to hold on to that power and say, yes, I can pray for these things in faith. But today the invitation for us is to do that. It is to pray for more laborers because the harvest is plentiful. We need more and more people to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it is also for us to take the authority that has been given to us to pray for healing, redemption, deliverance, and salvation. May God give us the strength and the faith to believe that he can make it so through us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for the call that you made to your, your disciples and to us, Lord, to get behind the wheel and start being laborers in the field. We thank you, Lord, for the power and the authority that you've given us, O oh Lord, because it is your power that flows through us. It is your authority that flows through us. Lord, as we prayed for John, we didn't pray in our own strength or our own will. We prayed through your spirit and your strength and your power. And as we pray for anyone in this altar, Lord, we ask that it will always be in the power of the Holy Spirit, that it will always be within your will and through your grace, and that it will always be, O oh Lord, according to what you have set out for us. Help us, O oh Lord, to be open to use your authority to pray for others and to believe that you can heal and restore 
For those, O oh Lord, on this day that are still bound by evil spirits, bound by depression, bound by illness, bound by addiction, bound by doubt or fear. We pray deliverance on this day. We pray that your Holy Spirit will come upon us this very day and deliver us through the power of Jesus. We ask, O oh Lord, that as we open the altar for prayer, you will give us boldness for you, boldness to continue to go wherever you lead us, even if it means being rejected, even if it means having hard times, even if it means losing friends or even family. Lord, help us to stand up for you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar is open. If anybody would like to come up for prayer on this day, asking God to give you the authority over whatever it is that you are dealing with.